This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. We're not going to guess what the stock market's going to do this year, but we will put our money where our mouth is. Motley Fool Money starts now. I'm Ricky Mulvey, joined today by Jason Moser. Jason, how you doing? Hey, Ricky. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. You have a good, good holiday break? It was a very good break. Yeah, busy, a lot of stuff going on, but you know we made it through. <laughs> got got through to the other side, which is always nice. How about you? Yeah, it was it was pretty good. Went to went to Cincinnati, went home for a little bit, back in Colorado, and uh, going through some unread emails today. How lovely! <laughs> yeah, you know who was busy over the holidays were some big tech lawyers as Apple resumed sales of its Watch series and the Watch Ultra Two just before Christmas. They had halted sales. Due to a patent dispute, it lost a case against Massimo, the medical technology company accused Apple of hiring away employees and stealing their tech, which basically measures blood oxygen levels, and, and the tech is allegedly used in the new Apple Watches. Um, so to set the table, uh, JMO, what does this temporary win mean for Apple? It gives them the opportunity to keep selling the two watches and in question here that utilize the, the technology that Massimo is questioning. Um, now this this is temporary. I think that's that's worth noting. I mean, this is something where the the uh, there's going to be a, an appeals court. They review this this case again here at some point this month. Uh, don't know when that's necessarily going to be, but I mean, this has been such a long sort of drawn drawn out story, right? I mean, there there's been this is not something that just came up. I mean, Massimo and Apple have a very fascinating history. And and I know we've talked about it on these shows before, but I mean, this is just one more sort of step in in the journey, right? I mean, it, it is one of those things. It's it's not something that's going to resolve itself easily. I, I I would say like with the the appeals court looking at it, it's something here later this month. I don't think that means that'll that'll bring everything to a conclusion. But but it, you know, it really does when you look at what Massimo does, why the company was founded, what it was founded on, ultimately technology for pulse oximetry, which is the, the technology in question here, you know, it, it starts to make you wonder exactly what Apple may or may not have done. I mean, there there is there there are plenty of court cases here along the way that rule that, that have ruled in Massimo's favor. So I mean, it, it looks at least you know from from the layperson looking you know outside looking in, it does look like. Apple probably lifted this technology in some capacity. Now, I'm just saying that it's it's what it looks like. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a judge. I have no say so here. And and I think ultimately what we also see is that with founder and CEO of, of Massimo, Joe Chiani, he is just digging his heels in for what is likely going to be a long and drawn out battle. Um, and, and that comes with its puts and takes, right? But ultimately, Massimo is a company that. You know, it it built the business on pulse oximetry technology. It's it's a medical device company. So I mean, they're they're looking to expand their portfolio and and do more things. A company like this at this size, they need to protect their technology, right? I mean, that that is one of the keys to this company's success is making sure they protect their technology. So I absolutely don't blame him for for taking this the distance. 
it, it, you know, by the same token, it is something that investors need to keep in mind. I mean, this is a big risk for Massimo. Whereas, I mean, for Apple, I mean, I, I don't want to say they could take it or leave it. I mean, I understand Apple. You know, they want to do everything they can do to try to make that watch as 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 you know good as it can be. But but there's no question that the result of this it's it's far more important for Massimo, I think, than it is for Apple. Yeah, Massimo is spending about a hundred million dollars so far on this case, which is a literal drop in the bucket for for a company the size of Apple. Yeah, as as, as you said, to digging one's heels in, CEO Joe Kiani told the Wall Street Journal, "Quote: If I can change the most powerful company in the world from continuing to act badly, that'll have more impact on the world than anything else I'm doing." End quote. What should Massimo's shareholders, though, hope for, hope for in this case? This is, as you mentioned, a company that's won patent disputes before, but not against a, a, a multi-trillion-dollar company that can call the president of the United States and say, you know, Christmas is coming up and we'd like to sell our watches. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, as, as a Massimo shareholder myself, I mean, I, I, I mean, I think shareholders, investors, you're rooting ultimately for a win, right? You want Massimo, you want this to be to be reaffirmed, right? They've won a lot of cases along the way. This is an appeal. It, it feels like this is something that should go in Massimo's favor, given the track record up to this point. But again, it's a legal issue. We just don't know. I mean, that's going to be something the courts ultimately decide. Um, if it's something that doesn't go Massimo's way, it's not something that that is is you know it's not fatal to the company. I mean, the company is going to continue to to do what it does. I mean, it's it's got plenty of of installed equipment and technology in hospitals and doctors' offices all over the world. What it does do, I mean, if if Massimo loses this case, I mean, it gives Apple a lot more leeway in what they can do with their watches. But if, if Massimo ends up winning this case, it's going to force Apple to do one of two things. Either rethink the technology that they implement in their watches, or they're going to need to try to figure out some way to work with Massimo. Now, on the latter, I think that's going to be a little bit of a tougher Road to hoe. Now, it's not to say that it can't be done, but given the track record with these two companies, you know, I don't think it's something where, where Apple can just say, "Oh, we're just going to buy Massimo." Massimo is a six billion dollar plus market cap, and if Apple just all of a sudden one day said, "Hey, you know what? We're just going to end this now. We want to buy Massimo," I mean, Keanu is not going to give this thing away for a song, <laughs> for a song, right? So he's going to make Apple pay for it. So, so again, I mean, it, it'll be very fascinating to see how that turns out, but. Um, you know, such is the way with with this with this type of stuff, right? I mean, it, it just goes to show why companies that come up with tremendous intellectual property early on, it it's a good sign when you find companies that fight hard to protect that technology all along the way, as as both companies really have done. But I will say, in Massimo's case, they they have fought tooth and nail all along the way to protect their technology, and if this works out in their favor, I think that just goes to show why. And ultimately, speaks more to the long, longer-term opportunity for 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 them. And if you look at Apple's stock price today, you'll notice that it has dipped. I don't think it has to do with this case, though, Jason. It is also because Barclays pointed to weaker consumer demand for uh, the iPhone sales, trouble selling in China, and gave the mega cap tech company uh, a downgrade. Yeah, a downgrade in, in I mean, a, a, a substantial uh, price target reduction from $161 per share to $160 Whoa. per share. Don't, yeah, get no, too, don't get too excited. <laughs> yeah, I know. It always it always amuses me to see that. Um, just just because we all know. I mean, valuation is as much art as it is science, and coming up with those types types of price targets it just depends on so many different things. You know, I'm not necessarily saying that Barclays is right here, but I, I do understand the rationale. I think it's a reasonable take. It's a reasonable concern. I mean, 
as these phones get older, right? I mean, as we move to the the 15, the 16, and ultimately 17, 18, 19, and whatever, you you don't need to refresh that phone as often, right? You can keep yeah. that phone for longer. That impacts Apple sales. There's just no question there. And when you think about how much uh, how much of a role the, the the iPhone, the smartphone has played in Apple's success to this point, I mean, this it it really is still a phone company for the most part. I mean, they do a lot of things well, but the phone is is the the, the lion's share of the company's pro, uh, profits. And so they're still trying to come up with sort of that next great thing, and in, in, in what they've got to this point is is a lot of really good things that are kind of making up one more great thing. Um, we've talked a lot about Apple being a services company and kind of making that pivot away from hardware more into becoming a lifestyle of services and stuff that we use. Some concerns there in regard to antitrust as far as is how big Apple's going to get, the App Store lawsuits and whatnot kind of make make you wonder exactly how much farther the services stuff can go, at least on the pricing side, and that is a very profitable side of the business. So, I absolutely understand the take. Not saying it's necessarily the right one or the wrong one. Uh, that, that, you know, time will tell there. It does make sense to start expressing a little bit of concern here, because they just have yet to really find that next lightning in a bottle solution that the iPhone has been. It's hard to fill the other pocket when you already have something in everybody's pocket. Yeah. <laughs> the other the other headlines coming out today, it's it's slow. People are people are still getting back to, to work from, from the holiday break. So it means that we're publishing a lot of large macro predictions. What the investment houses think that the stock market is going to do last year. I think it's worth remembering that last year we had the 100% chance of a recession that never came. Could happen this year, could not. But investors are going to be seeing a lot of these large-scale predictions about interest rates, the year ahead in investing. How do you recommend that they that they read into those? No, I think it's interesting you brought up the recession uh, point there because you know I mean we've been talking about recession for really probably the better part of the last couple of years, right? And and while technically we never ran into a recession, I mean remember in 2022 we did have two consecutive quarters of economic contraction, which technically is how a recession was defined. Now, I understand not calling the recession because of other economic indicators, but Maybe that's semantics. You know, when you when you look at uh, a recent bank rate survey, they found that sixty percent of adults actually feel like the economy is in, is in a recession right now, and so maybe perception is reality in this case. You know, I I, I don't know. I guess it, it, we'll we'll have to sort of wait and see how that shakes out. But when you look at how the market performed last year, tremendous recovery from the previous year. We saw the S and P up around twenty five percent. It's worth mentioning. I mean, a lot of that came from the magnificent seven. And I think the Magnificent Seven, you know, we've got Google, Amazon, Microsoft, NVIDIA, Tesla, Apple, Meta. Those are companies that I think will continue to kind of keep things going going forward for us here in 2024. I mean, in 2023, the worst performer there was Apple, and it was up almost 50%. You had yeah. NVIDIA up almost 240%. So it's, it's the Magnificent Seven really are playing a big role. Uh, but that's not a bad thing, right? I mean, that that's that's something where I mean, listen, we we encourage investors to 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 own these types of businesses, and so I think we will likely see at least in the front half of the year the Magnificent Seven continue to perform well. Um, the consumer is a little bit stretched, right? Yeah. I mean, we've seen credit card debt topping one trillion dollars buy now, pay later. That stuff kind of flies under the radar, so it's not necessarily even accounted there accounted for there. 
um, student loan payments starting back up. There, there are a number, a number of reasons why why you could be concerned about consumer. consumer. But but then really ultimately the wild card comes in November, right? Yep. It's an election year, and, and there's going to be a lot of headline risk out there one way or the other. I want to move to a mailbag question we got from a, a listener. We had a, a, a event for Motley Fool Money members and listeners in Denver a, a few weeks back, and we got a we got a listener who who wanted to ask a question directly to you, JMO. Okay. And this was his this was his question. My name's Dane. I have a question about Teladoc, an investment I made in 2019. Uh, for the first two years, I owned it. One of the best investments I ever made. The last two years, one of the worst investments I've made. So I guess my question related to this is, how do you juggle the balance of knowing the right valuation of a stock versus also time in the market is important, and over the long haul, good companies are going to perform well? Yeah, yeah, great question there, and not an easy answer because it does depend on a lot of things. I mean, we went through a little bit of an interesting stretch there over the last three years where valuations in certain companies got really out of hand, and it was difficult to really see exactly how things were going to continue, right? How things would ultimately resolve themselves. Um, I, I think that when it comes to investment, Teladoc I think is a good example of a business where um, you know a business that's still not profitable, right? Still working their way towards profitability, and so it's it's very difficult to to understand how valuation ultimately works with a business like that, right? You have you have a limited amount of data with which to work. You're kind of valuing things on price to sales, and and you're really starting to forecast out a lot. And so for me personally, and I'm still a Teladoc shareholder. I mean, I've owned shares in Teladoc since essentially since they IPO'd. I think something like. 2015 or something. Um, you know, it's a business I bought back then based on my general thinking of where healthcare needed to go over the long haul. And when I say long haul, I, I own this in my retirement portfolio. I have an indefinite uh, holding period. And so for me, you know, I mean, the, the ebbs and flows are just, just part of the deal, and you got to deal with that. But I think for me, a lot of it really boils down to position sizing. And in hindsight, of course, we look at a lot of these companies that went through these these last three years, sort of these stay-at-home stocks, for example, where we saw companies like Teladoc or PayPal or Square, Etsy, a lot of these companies that really just took off. They went to the moon. It felt like the opportunity was unlimited. And now, now you know, fast forward to today, and we're kind of back to where we are. It, it, it's worth kind of paying attention to investor sentiment, psychology headlines that are going going on. And when you see things that are really abnormal, that's when you can start looking at companies like these and saying, okay, well, has this position gotten to a point where it's way bigger than I ever wanted it to be? If so, should I consider trimming some? I think a lot of times you can maybe take a little bit off the table, but still keep that core position. Uh, again, you know, valuation is very difficult when you when you have companies that just aren't making actual profits yet, because you really are basing that investment on um, a case that you're making you're making far far in the future. Uh, so, so for me, ultimately, a lot of it just boils down to position sizing, making making sure that you're not so overly exposed that you can you can withstand these these uh, these volatile stretches. Ultimately, if you do find that the business is suffering and and they're not doing you know management's not doing what they say they're going to do, then you have to start looking at that, and saying, well, maybe this thesis is broken, and and then you can you can make your decisions uh, from there. So I know you mentioned Teladoc's one that you're. It's in your retirement portfolio, but I'm thinking to Dane's question. I'm thinking to the the institutional investors who are allowed to make guesses about the economy that they really have no stake in. Like you can you can say something, it gets published. 
you know, for us, I, I like putting our money where our mouth is. Yeah. So what is what is a stock as we start the year? What's a stock or maybe an exchange traded fund that you already own and stories can all, always change, but that you plan on holding through 2024? Yeah, well, I, I would say most of them. <laughs> I mean, I, I, de I definitely try to minimize the selling, but one that I do own that I intend to hang on to for for some time to come, Axon, I think, is a great one. The company that's known for uh, taser technology and, and ultimately just giving giving law enforcement an, an alternative beyond uh, guns uh, in order to try to, to maintain civil discourse. But I, I think Axon is, is one that stands out to me that I, I really, beyond even 2024, I, I hope to own this one for many, many years to come. Yeah, I'll, I'll throw in an ETF for uh, the Schwab Dividend Fund, SCHD. Owns a lot of the defensive stocks that, in part, I don't feel like picking or researching, but one of those things where I see myself wanting some dividends in retirement. So that's one that I'm hanging on to. Jason Moser, appreciate your time and your insight. Thank you. Before we get to our next segment, first, a couple of ads. Growth stocks steal the spotlight in financial media, but something way more boring is behind a whole lot of wealth creation. Dividends, the regular payments that companies send shareholders. Dividends can make companies a little more disciplined on capital allocation and provide investors long-term streams of income. Some of the Motley Fool analysts behind Stock Advisor, that's our flagship service, put together a list of three dividend stocks to buy this year. We're sending this report to Motley Fool Money listeners for free, just as a thank you for checking out the show with no purchase necessary. Just go to fool.com slash 2024 dividends, and we'll email it directly to your inbox. We will also include a link in the show notes. Ricky Mulvey with Motley Fool Money here to tell you about a vehicle that is redefining sporting luxury, the Range Rover Sport. The first thing I noticed when I sat down in the driver's seat is that I felt like I was in a cockpit. You're up off the ground in a focused interior that promotes exhilarating driver engagement. I also really appreciated the overhead 360 degree camera view that let me know exactly where I was going as I was backing out of the parking space. I went for a drive in the Range Rover Sport out in Littleton, Colorado, and tested the accelerator just a little bit and felt the performance and agility. It's an instinctive drive with engaging on-road dynamics and effortless composure. To put it plainly, the Range Rover Sport is powerful. It's also quiet and comfortable. Advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification offer new levels of comfort and refinement. The third generation Range Rover Sport is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable yet. I'd like to invite you to visit LandRoverUSA.com to learn more about the Range Rover Sport. All right, next up, want to get a little more productive in 2024? Allison Southwick and Robert Brokamp have some tips so you can do more in your financial, professional, and personal life. We're on day two of 2024. So ideally, you've already begun working on your New Year's resolutions. Of course, I don't know what those resolutions are, but chances are that they have something to do with getting stuff done, like exercising more, saving more, spending more time with your family, picking up a new skill, or just being more productive. If so, this episode is for you because Bro has some tips for getting more done financially and otherwise in 2024. 
Uh, yeah, and these tips uh, I learned the hard way because by nature, I'm kind of a distractible procrastinator. Uh, and that can cause problems in your personal and professional lives as it did with mine. So about 15 years ago, I kind of became obsessed with productivity. I read hundreds of articles and books, attended conferences, even worked with a couple of coaches. And while I'm far from perfect, I'm a heck of a lot better than I used to be. So what does all this have to do with personal finances? Well, the bottom line is your future net worth is going to be determined by the money-related stuff that you get done. The accounts you open, investments you make, insurance policies you buy, flexible spending reimbursements you submit, and so on. On the flip side, when you look at surveys about financial regrets from older folks, many often have to do with wishing they got something done sooner. People wish they started saving sooner, investing sooner, but they just didn't get around to it. I spoke just the other day with a guy in his 50s, and he still hasn't taken advantage of the higher 401k contribution limits that are available to the 50 and older crowd. And he said what we've all said. He said he's been meaning to do it, but he just hasn't gotten around to it. So we all have these types of things on our to-do list. Hopefully, these tips will help you be able to cross some of them off in 2024. All right, bro. And your first piece of advice is to have a collection system, which I'm going to be honest, already sounds a bit like work and I don't want to do it. <laughs> Unfortunately, it probably is a little work. And, you know, for some people, it's just a regular old to do list. Um, but it's probably better if you have something a little more robust than that, because productivity really starts with having a system that you trust to collect and organize all the items on your to do list. And really, this is the foundation of the Getting Things Done, otherwise known as GTD, methodology and book developed by David Allen, who's kind of a prominent productivity guru. Many fools, including myself and co-founder David Gardner, have implemented some version of the GTD system. Uh, in fact, David Gardner is such a fan that he actually invited Mr. Allen to speak to the company, and he's had him as a guest on the, his Rule Breaker Investing podcast. And the main idea is that your head is lousy at keeping track of all that you need to do. So you must have a way to collect and organize all your open loops. Ideally, using a tool that is always with you so you can record things as they occur to you and you can refer to it depending on whatever different context you're in, if you're out, if you're at your computer, if you're at home. For most people, this is their phone, but some people do prefer an old school small notebook. But if you go with your phone, there is just tons of tools and apps you can use as your digital to-do list. I used to use Trello, and then I moved to Jira, and you can find plenty of articles online about how to use either of those as a productivity management tool. But now, I just use a handy and, and really pretty simple app called Remember the Milk, and I love it. All right. Your second piece of advice is, if it can be done in under two minutes, just do it. Yeah, and this is another GTD principle. Don't take the time to add something to your to-do list, which you know later get reevaluated and shuffled around. If you can just get it done in 120 seconds or less, and a number of important things fall under this category. For example, the contribution limits to 401ks increased by $500 in 2024. So rather than put increased 401k contribution into my to-do list, I just logged into my account and changed the amount, and it took me less than a minute. I mean, you make it sound so easily, but invariably, I'm going to go to the account, not know my password, <laughs> immediately get thwarted and distracted. Yes. So it might make uh, it might take a couple of two minute uh, efforts to get it done, but generally speaking, it won't take as long as you think. And if you put it on your to do list to be done later, chances are that it may not get done. Yeah, it's ridiculous the number of things I haven't done because I've forgotten a password. Oh, it's crazy. I got to get on that. All right, third piece of advice. Plan every month, week, and day. Yeah, uh, so on my calendar, I have a time on the first day of every month 
every Monday and every morning to see what's coming up and decide on my priorities. Uh, and some productivity experts recommend that you plan every day the night before so you can hit the ground running when you wake up, but having a planning time at 7 a.m. every day works for me. Um, also, as part of my Monday planning, my wife and I email each other our schedules and lists of important family to-do items so that we're both on the same page for the week. And for me, this planning uh, time has been crucial. It gives me time to process all the items in my to-do list and identify the three to five things I must get done every day. And I think it is important to, to be realistic about how much you can get done in a given day. Uh, and then I often po post those three to five things on a post-it note, and I have it in front of me throughout the day as a reminder. All right, which brings us to our next piece of advice, which is to ruthlessly prioritize. Like you said, you can't get everything done in one day. Exactly. My all-time favorite productivity book is called Eat That Frog, 21 Great Ways to Stop Procrastinating and Get More Done in Less Time by Brian Tracy. And the title of the book comes from a quote attributed to Mark Twain. It is, quote, if it's your job to eat a frog, it's best to do it first thing in the morning. And if it's your job to eat two frogs, it's best to eat the biggest frog first. Um, so for Tracy, the big frogs are the items on your to-do list that will have the biggest impact and result in the most progress toward your goals. And he believes that actions follow the Pareto principle, also known as the 80-20 rule. That is 80% of results come from the 20% most crucial actions. As he wrote, quote, there's never enough time to do all the tasks, but there's always time to do the most important task. The most valuable tasks that you can do each day are often the hardest and most complex, but the payoff and rewards for completing these tasks efficiently can be tremendous. For this reason, you must adamantly refuse to work on tasks in the bottom 80% while you still have tasks in the top 20% left to be done. Tracy recommends that you assign letters A through E to all your items on your to-do list, with A tasks being the most important. Those, of course, are the so-called big frogs. When it comes to how to spend your time, this principle is paramount. Never do a B task when there is an A task left to be done. You should never be distracted by a tadpole when there is a big frog sitting there waiting to be eaten. And I will say that I did follow this strategy for a while, like doing, you know, <laughs> labeling everything A to E. But what you'll find is if you do that enough, it kind of becomes just second nature and you don't have to follow it so strictly. So give it a try in the beginning. And I think even that you'll, you'll, you'll get better habits to a point where your prioritization just becomes second nature. All right. Your next piece of advice is to put important items on your calendar. Yeah, another book I highly recommend it is by Sally McGee, and it's called Take Back Your Life, Using Microsoft Office Outlook to Get Organized and Stay Organized. And even if you don't use a Microsoft product, the book is still enlightening. A key component of McGee's methodology is putting important tasks on a calendar. And here I'll, I'll provide a quote from her. Your head and to-do list have no boundaries. They're limitless. Reality lies only in the calendar because it has time limits. Use it as a prioritization tool, and it will assist you to be more strategic about what you can and cannot do. And according to um, Sally McGee's company's research, there's a 75% greater chance that something will get done if it's scheduled on a calendar. So if there's something that you must get done, put it there on your calendar, treat it as a secret. That way, no one else can bother you. No one else can schedule an appointment over it. And, and you've allotted a certain time to get that thing done. Reality lies only in the calendar. That got, <laughs> that got a lot heavier than I was expecting. Ooh, okay. Next piece of advice is that you need to increase focus and block distractions with a tomato. 
Yes. Some people are familiar with this, but back in the 1980s, Italian college student Francesco Cirillo, I don't know if that's how you would pronounce it, I'm not Italian, but he figured out that he got more accomplished if he worked in 25-minute bursts followed by five-minute breaks. And he timed these bursts and breaks with a kitchen timer that was in the shape of a tomato. Thus, this became known as the Pomodoro technique, named after the Italian word for tomato. And so I followed this strategy using an online tomato timer. Just do an online search. You'll find plenty of them out there. Um, and here's the key. During those 25 minutes, you can only work. No checking email, no checking social media, no getting coffee, no going to the bathroom, no chatting with colleagues. Once the 25 minutes are up, you can do any of those things for five to 10 minutes, but then the next 25 minute Pomodoro begins. All right. Next piece of advice is to give up on perfection. Yeah. One of my all time favorite quotes about productivity comes from David Allen and it is perfection and productivity are mutually exclusive. And this is because perfectionism can actually cause procrastination. One study found that procrastination was associated with significantly negative automatic thoughts in general, as well as automatic thoughts reflecting the need to be perfect. And as psychology professor and author of the book, Solving the Procrastination Puzzle, Tim Peichel said in a Fast Company interview, procrastination is not a time management problem, it's an emotion management problem. And the truth is, few things in life need to be absolutely perfect, including your financial plan. Just doing something and getting most of the way there, whether it's saving, investing, insurance, estate planning, whatever, is better than never getting started due to perfectionism. To paraphrase Voltaire, don't let the best be the enemy of the good. I see this is this is this happens in my family. My dad is very much a jump in and just get it done and don't plan it and whatever, it's done. And he gets things done, like, but not necessarily very well. Whereas my brother is very much like uh, it's gotta be perfect, it's gotta be perfect. So it's gonna take him a whole a month of getting himself psyched up to do the project and he's got to watch all these videos and he get it. And then when he's, when he finally does get around to it, it's done well, but that's, that's how I see that in my family. It's, uh, it clearly obviously depends on what you're talking about, right? If, if, if someone is designing and building an airplane, you want that to be absolutely perfect. Yeah. But when it comes to so much of your personal finance, like I hear people talk about like, well, I'll, I'll increase how much I'm saving retirement. But once I look at my budget and figure out exactly how much I can save and I say, you know what, just save more now, you'll figure out later whether it was too much or too little, but just do something. Yeah. I feel like I could be wrong, but I feel like you maybe are a lean to the perfection kind of person and I'm a get, just get it done, whatever kind of person. <laughs> I, I was, but I got over it. Yeah. I got over it. In fact, I really am now. I'm just, I'm just going to do something and I'll figure it out later. Oh, Especially yeah, with your finances, a lot of things, they're sort of self-correcting. You, you get a signal ahead of time, like, Oh, I overdid it or I underdid it. And now I can make a change. Our last piece of advice is to just get going. Yeah, in 2017, Axios interviewed Kevin Systrom, who was the co-founder of Instagram, and then at the time, actually, he was the CEO of the company. In response to the question, what's your favorite life hack, Systrom said, if you don't want to do something, make a deal with yourself to do at least five minutes of it. And after five minutes, you'll end up doing the whole thing. And a similar strategy is recommended by James Clear, author of Atomic Habits, an easy and proven way to build uh, good habits and break bad ones. Clear's version says that any new habit can be boiled down to a two-minute first step. So start there. So for example, if you want to make exercise a habit, just start by getting ready. Fill up your water bottle, put on your running shoes. That may be enough to get your motivation going. And I'll just add here that uh, James Clear is also the source of one of my other favorite productivity quotes, and that is, 
we must suffer one of two things, the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. Oh, again, bring it, bring in the heavy this early in the year. <laughs> no. All right, bro. Well, what are your final parting thoughts for our listeners on getting financial things done in the coming year? So my guess is that you know which financial tasks you've been avoiding, but will have a significant positive impact once they're accomplished, right? Whether it's choosing a money management system, boosting your savings, making an appointment with a financial planner, or maybe an estate planning attorney. Each person's money-related quote-unquote big frogs are different. But here's one suggestion that could benefit everyone, and that is put a weekly money hour on your calendar. So, as I mentioned earlier, putting a task on your calendar increases the chances that it'll get done. Also, in the course of all my reading about productivity, I learned that many successful people actually have a money appointment on their calendars, an hour each week devoted to tackling all the dollar-related to-dos. So, use your hour to pay bills, update your budget, check your portfolio, submit reimbursements, monitor your credit score, all that good stuff, and cross off any other important money-related items. Usually, it won't take a whole hour, but you'll feel much better and likely be much richer over the years by regularly getting your financial things done. As always, people on the program may own stocks mentioned, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. I'm Ricky Mulvey. Happy New Year. We'll be back tomorrow. Our podcast is represented by Airwave Media.